You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On SEC Podcast. Great to have you along. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. On today's show, two-time national champion, former tight end at the University of Florida, now hosting the Believe in Florida podcast, Tate Casey will join the show, talk all things Florida Gators as they prepare to take on South Carolina this week. How confident is he in Kyle Trask and company? We will discuss. Also, the biggest game of the weekend, Auburn at Georgia. Big chance for Auburn to pull off an upset. We'll talk with our buddy Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast, find out what the Tigers need to do to get a win. And I'll give you my updated SEC quarterback rankings heading into week two of conference play. Some moving and shaking in the top ten. I am Chris Gordy. Be sure to subscribe and follow Locked on SEC for free. Wherever you get your podcast, you'll get the latest episode of this podcast as soon as it comes out each and every day, five days a week. All right, some big news out of Tennessee last night. As offensive lineman Cade Mays tweeted out, today is a great day for all of college athletics. For those fighting for my eligibility to make this season a reality, God is good. Go Vols. The former number 77 at Georgia, now number 68 at Tennessee, is now eligible and cleared for play. Greg Sankey released a statement saying they approved a number of transfer requests from several different schools and said these approvals are solely a reflection of unique circumstances present and should not be interpreted as endorsement of the rationale set forth by individuals seeking these waivers. In other words, this is a one-time thing for Greg Sankey and company. If a bunch of dudes transfer next offseason, you're going to sit out a year. So they have approved a handful of guys, Cade Mays being the biggest of them. And I assume Mays will plug right into the offensive line for Tennessee starting this week, possibly at right guard. I think you want to keep Wanya Morris, Trey Smith on the left side with Brandon Kennedy at center. So he'll slide right in somewhere on that right side, possibly at guard. All right, let's jump right into it. My latest updated top 10 of SEC quarterbacks heading into week number two. Start with number one, Kyle Trask, my guy who will be in the Heisman conversation all year. Off to a really good start week one, over 400 yards passing, six touchdowns. But buyer beware, he did that against a really bad Ole Miss defense. Going to be a little bit tougher this week against Muschamp in South Carolina. But Trask is good enough to be number one here this week. My number two guy, it's KJ Costello. Week one of the Mike Leach air raid. So far, so good to do that against LSU in Death Valley. Very impressive. 623 yards, an SEC record, five touchdown passes. Now let's see you do it again this week, hosting Barry Odom and his Arkansas defense, who had a good first half against Georgia last week. KJ Costello has some semblance of a similar performance. He may contest Trask for that number one spot in my mind. Number three, I've got Mac Jones from Alabama. Solid week one performance, 18 for 24, 259, and two touchdowns. He was on the bench after one second half drive. I would not expect anything more from the Alabama quarterback with all that talent he is surrounded by. A good test this week against AM, who despite their offensive woes in week one, were pretty dominant against Vandy defensively. Mac Jones won to keep an eye on, but if Najee Harris runs wild on the Aggies, Mac may not have to do very much this week. Number four, I've got Bo Nix. Look, a slow first half, but a much better second half against Kentucky last week. He threw three touchdowns, showed his running ability a little bit. I think Chad Morris is going to progressively make Nix better as the season goes on. Tough test this week at Georgia, but with lesser crowd this week between the hedges, I think Bo Nix is going to make some plays this weekend. Watch out for him to move up this list if he's able to get a win at Georgia. 
Number five, I've got Matt Corral. There was a lot of offseason chatter about John Rice Plumley, but Corral was the one who made Lane Kiffin make him his starting guy. Lane Kiffin decided he will be his uh, feature guy moving forward. They're still going to play Plumley a little bit, but Matt Corral led the conference in yards per attempt at 12.5. He rushed for 50 yards last week, some garbage time yardage, but Corral could be highly successful this season in that Lane Kiffin offense, so I've got him at number five. Number six, I'm going to hesitantly say Jarrett Garantano. He threw for a touchdown, ran for a touchdown in week one at South Carolina. He continues to be one of the more frustrating quarterbacks, and many are just hoping one day everything is going to click for him. Very inconsistent, but the potential is there for Garantano to be one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC this season. I've got him at number six. At number seven, Miles Brennan. Look, I'm going to remain bullish on him. He threw two interceptions week one. He took seven sacks. He was inaccurate with a dozen throws, but all that said, at the end of the day, he threw for 345 yards, three touchdowns, and he kept his team in the game into the fourth quarter. Look, here's the reality of those numbers. If he threw for 50 more yards last week, his passing yards in that game would have ranked 10th most in a game by an LSU quarterback. So the potential is there, but he has to start to look more comfortable this week against Vanderbilt, and he should. Number eight on my top 10 SEC quarterback rankings, I've got Colin Hill. South Carolina actually has a quarterback they can believe in this season. He threw for just under 300 yards in week one against Tennessee, threw for a touchdown, ran for one. He looked comfortable in that Mike Bobo offense, and rightfully so. He needs those receivers to help him out. But if you are a Gamecock fan, you have to be optimistic about Colin Hill. With all due respect to Ryan Holinsky, Jake Bentley, Perry Orth, maybe the best consistent quarterback since Connor Shaw, maybe. Again, no disrespect to all those other guys. Number nine, another bullish pick. Look, I'm I'm going with Kellen Mond here. He was highly disappointing in week one. Just 189 yards and a touchdown against Vandy. They have a solid run game, which should help the balance moving forward. Let's see how Mond does moving the ball this week against Alabama. If he struggles and he looks terrible again, I'm dropping him out. And number 10, statistically, I'm going to go with Stetson Bennett, but no way he remains the starter. JT Daniels is going to get every chance to take over this job at Georgia. But after Dewan Mathis was not impressive in week one, Bennett got the job done in the second half. Threw for 211 yards, two touchdowns. He'll likely be out of these rankings by next week, but I got Stetson Bennett in there after week one. And the rest of the bunch, Kentucky's Terry Wilson, a mixed bag against Auburn. He threw for 239 and a touchdown, rushed for 42 yards. But, man, he threw that pick at the goal line just before half, had a fourth-quarter fumble. I'm going to say this was just week one jitters, and Terry Wilson is going to jump into my top ten rankings next week after playing a really bad Ole Miss defense. Then you got Mizzou's Sean Robinson, TCU transfer. He was 19-25 in week one against Bama. That sounds impressive, but most of his yardage came in garbage time versus the Tide. He had just 64 yards on 17 attempts in the first half. Behind him, Ken Seals at Vanderbilt threw for 150 yards, threw for a touchdown and two picks. For the standard of being a true freshman quarterback at Vandy, that's not awful. But he was captain dump-off in the game last week. A lot of short passes. If he makes some big throws against LSU this week, I will move him up in my rankings. But good luck with Derek Stingley Jr. being back in there at corner. And lastly, Felipe Franks at Arkansas. Look, he was fine in the first half, abysmal in the second half. I know Georgia's defense is the real deal, but he had a big pick six last week. Should have a chance at a better Productive week this week playing at Mississippi State. We'll see if Felipe Franks can make some improvements. That is my top 10 SEC quarterbacks after week one heading into week two. Again, I hold every right to move guys up and down 
based on how they do this week. All right, coming up next, we catch up with two-time national champion, former Florida tight end Tate Casey of the Believe Podcast Network. Look, let's face it. When you need something for your car, a lot of times we always feel like, oh, it's just easy. Let me just run to, to the chain store across town and go get what I need and walk up and down the aisles and then got people pestering me. Hey, can I help you find what you're looking for? And then half the time they don't even know where to find it. They got to go type it into the computer to find the part. Save yourself the hassle. Go to rockauto.com. They will find what you are looking for for your vehicle. They are a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. RockAuto.com, the place to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything that you need. We talked about it before. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whatever you're looking to do, whether it's a new car, car, an old car, a classic, whatever you need for your car, RockAuto.com has all the parts available for your car or truck. When you go there, make sure you're right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car is ever going to need. Save yourself the hassle, rockauto.com. Welcome back. Locked on SEC rolling along here as we get ready for week two of the SEC. Of course, some other conferences a couple weeks into their seasons, but the SEC, the one that matters most, heading into their next slate of games. And one of the teams, very impressive in week one, looking to keep those impressive performances going, are the Florida Gators. And a guy who keeps up and covers the Florida Gators, host of the Believe in Florida podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network, is former Florida tight end Tate Casey. Jumps in with us now. Tate, what's going on, man? Not much. You doing all right? We're doing good. I mean, especially after this first uh, week of games. Look, I'm a, admittedly I'm an LSU alum, so I was not happy with week one how it played out. But happy we have SEC football back. And man, did the Florida Gators and Dan Mullen look impressive in week one? Yeah, and, and you know it's exactly what you hope for in a first game. You know, and, and what we're used to is has been shaken up a little bit with this coronavirus thing and having a conference only schedule you start to see, you know, everybody's jumping right into conference play. And so it's going to be a little bit different. The timing is going to be a little bit different. And with a lack of preparation in the offseason to get ready for a full SEC slate, you know, some of these teams are already behind the eight ball. Unfortunately, LSU is one of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder, Tate, I don't know how much you got to see of the game, but, you know, a lot of people are dogging on LSU. And, look, obviously they lost a lot of pieces from last year in the national championship team. But – I keep looking at what Mike Leach was able to do with the new quarterback, K.J. Costello. And, by the way, there's some talent already on that roster at Mississippi State. Kylan Hill's really good at the running back spot. So I wonder if that's almost Mike Leach putting the rest of the SEC on notice. And, you know, yeah, there's some other fan bases pointing fingers at LSU and laughing, but they they may not be laughing when their team plays Mike Leach in this offense. No, and they're dangerous. You know, and if there's one thing that you can say about Mike Leach in the air raid is he has a knack for – coming in and being able to get people to adapt. And so, you know, he's got some pieces in play. Um, he's got some stuff he could probably iron out and look even better, uh, depending on who, who he plays next. And, you know, Mississippi State is one of those teams that if they had the uh, recruiting base that most of these universities have the luxury of, you know, with being close to Texas and Georgia and Florida, uh, he could probably do even more. But as we've seen in the past, Recruiting starting to play nationwide, and when you get a guy like Mike Leach at a program that really 
has had its ups and downs historically. You know, we've seen what Dan Mullen's been able to do there, and, and he, you can go back and historically to some of the great head coaches at Mississippi State. The ones that could recruit had success there. And uh, I'm going to tell you what, if he keeps throwing it around for 600 yards every week, he's going to pull some, some really good recruiting. Uh, Dan Mullen was obviously an assistant coach at Florida in your time there, now the head coach at Florida. How jealous are you of Kyle Pitts? And do you call coach and go, where was that when I was playing? <laughs> well, it's it's a different type of tight end play now, that's for sure. Um, you know, when, when Dan and Irvin were at Utah and, and when they came to Florida originally, the tight end really was a, was a question mark. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what he was going to do with it. I think that myself and, and at the time, Billy Lasko, the fullback, we didn't know what exactly was in store for us. And so, you know, year by year, you, you started to see gradually how that developed and how the position evolved. Uh, with the likes of Aaron Hernandez and, and myself and Cornelius Ingram and then even after us. Uh, and, and now you see where it's at. You know, even when Urban went to Ohio State, you know, and when Dan went to Mississippi State, and the last few years at Florida, you know, with, with Kyle Pitts, uh, he's got a stud at tight end right now, and I can promise you he's going to use it to his advantage every chance he has. Would uh, Kyle Trask be at the top of your Heisman list right now? You know, it's hard, it's hard to say, um, but because we didn't have an evaluation period with the spring and in the fall, um, I, I would say he's definitely up there in the top five at the moment. Uh, I think the one thing you get with Kyle Trask and what I love about the guy is he's just got a solid head on his shoulders. You know, I, I, anybody in the world could give you know, him a Heisman nod uh, first week of the season, and I can promise you it doesn't mean anything to him. His biggest focus is winning ballgames. And uh, he's one of those kind of guys that has a really almost an eerie calm about him. Uh, he doesn't let too much get him up or down. Uh, he's got an even kill almost every time I've ever seen him, talked to him, interviewed him. He, he doesn't get too high or too low. So that's what you want out of a quarterback. And his upside right now is just through the roof. I mean, he's got so much that he's doing right, and he's still got a lot of potential left. So I'm, I'm anxious to see the, the next few weeks and how they play out. Ask me again in October, and, I, and I'll probably tell you a little bit different. <laughs> For our Ole Miss listeners out there, what did you see from the Rebels in their first game under Lane Kiffin? Well, I'll say this. It's hard because the first week, you don't really know what to expect. You've got a new head coach, and we all know Lane Kiffin you know, fairly well, especially in the SEC. But I will say this. You know, I thought for what they were able to do early, especially in the first half with Matt Corral and, and the run game, uh, they threw some they threw some kinks in there, and you know it wasn't too fancy. There were a few things they did that were that were done really well, but the up tempo offense was the one thing that I noticed. He was able to get a tempo going, and you know I looked at I looked at my co-hosts for a second there in the first half, and I said our defense looks like they're in quicksand. And when I went back and watched the film on Sunday, I, I kind of had a chance to not be in the moment and watch it over and watch it over. And Ole Miss offense did a pretty good job. I mean, the whole game, I thought the tempo, they have some playmakers, they've got some talent. Uh, I think if you give Lane Kiffin a full offseason of preparation in spring ball and, and two-a-days, you know, he could do some real damage over at Ole Miss. And he, he's got some pieces in place uh, ready to go. So they're going to get better. I think that may be one of the better offenses that Florida faces uh, this year. Talking with Tate Casey, former uh, Florida tight end, uh, two-time national champion, now host of the uh, Believe in Florida podcast on the uh, Believe Podcast Network. All right, a little scouting report. What did you see from South Carolina and Tennessee last week, and 
What do you expect from the South Carolina team coming into the Swamp this weekend? Well, the one thing I see most out of seven watching that game on, on Saturday night with, with University of Tennessee is two things. Mistakes made by you know South Carolina that technically could have cost them that game or probably did cost them that game. Um, but what you do notice, and every time you watch a, a, you know, a, a Will Muschamp-led team, they play with grit and they play with a lot of passion. So, you know, from a defensive side of the, side of the ball, Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and the boys are going to have to show up this week. Um, they're going to play great defense. I think our defense has a chance to be playing back at home and have a big game and kind of correct everything that happened last weekend, you know, get some stuff ironed out, get some of those live game reps. I, I think you'll see a revamped Florida defense this week. It was very similar to last year when we started the season. I think a lot of stuff fell back on defense. You know, our defense wasn't tackling very well. There was a lot of arm tackling going on, and then they came back out in the next two weeks and did a really good job of correcting that. Uh, and I trust Todd Grantham will get that figured out pretty quick. Do you have a thought on the uh, big game of this weekend? Uh, two top ten teams, number seven, Auburn, going into number f- four, Georgia. Uh, kind of a mixed bag from both teams in week one. We know Georgia's got the questions at quarterback. Is it going to be JT Daniels? You know, How are they going to handle that situation? And then Auburn, I thought, real sloppy in the first half, but Bo Nix and company looked a lot better in the second half against Kentucky. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's really funny, and I was talking about it earlier. I think you'll see every team in the SEC get better week two. Um, it just due to having a lot more, you know, situational awareness and watching the film and figuring out technique and going through the practice reps. But you almost like to say until Georgia shows up and, and just completely disappoints, it's still Georgia. They've got a ton of talent. They've got a lot of playmakers on both sides of the football. They've got a lot of four- and five-star recruits. Auburn's the same way. I just don't know. Bo Nix has been there. He's done that. He's a second-year guy now. Uh, you know, I like him to kind of pick it up a little bit. I think that matchup's going to be pretty good. Uh, I don't know who's going to pull it out. I mean, everything surrounding the Georgia quarterback position right now is just unknown at this point. Um, so, I don't know. If this was a, a normal year, Going into a road environment for Auburn, I'd probably tell you that Georgia, there's no chance they lose that game. But right now, with the effect that fans don't really have on the players and this being more of a last, almost like a uh, quasi-scrimmage, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't doubt that Auburn can go in and compete. Um, but I, if it's me, I'd rather Georgia show up to Jacksonville undefeated <laughs> if it was my choice. The, uh, the 230 game will be an interesting when Texas A&M is at Alabama. We keep hearing every year, oh, this is the year Kellen Mond, the light comes on for him and it's going to click. And then we see week one, the offense is just sputtering. Like you said, a lot of teams just look sloppy. Now their defense played really well against Vandy, but it's Vandy. So it's hard to get a good read on them. They got to go into Tuscaloosa. Alabama looked like the revenge tour is on this year for them. Uh, any, any chance for A&M to hang with Alabama, you think? Not in my opinion. I mean, I think Alabama's just too much for A&M. And, and until they figure out some stuff on the offensive side of the football, A&M, I, I just don't see them coming coming out with this win. They, Kellerman last year was very disappointing, you know, for what I thought he was going to be. Um, and, and unless he comes out in the first few weeks and shows me otherwise, I just don't think that A&M is quite there yet. And I, and I don't know what it's really going to take to get to that point. You know, if it's another quarterback or if it's, you know – finding some young guys to step up at receiver. But, you know, until somebody knocks Alabama off that pedestal in the West, uh, I I think they're the team to beat. (laughs) 
Talking with Tate Casey, host of Believe in Florida on the Believe Podcast Network. What do you have in store uh, for the podcast conversation this week? Uh, a lot of, uh, really, it's going to obviously revolve around Florida, but I mean, for me, it's going to be a lot of defensive talk. Uh, we're going to the X's and O's of the offense and what Florida was able, able to get done last week. Kyle Pitts, obviously, being a huge part of that conversation because I like tight ends that much. And, uh, and really what to look out for in week two against a good South Carolina defense. So, you know, that, we're going to kind of cross everything off, but I'm really going to hone in on the defense and, and what needs to happen from week one to week two for Todd Grantham and his defense to really get back on track. I haven't looked at any mock drafts, but that is that kid going to be a – he's got to be a first-round pick when it's all said and done. Just look at his size and his bot, like his athleticism. Kyle Pitts has to be a first-rounder. He, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. The way the tight end position is going these days, the one thing that that I was really excited to see on Saturday was just as, the way he was blocking a little bit more aggressively and the way he was taking on physical contact. The biggest thing that people mention when they talk about Kyle Pitts is he's just a glorified receiver that is in a 6'6", 245-pound frame. And I think if you watch the game Saturday in detail – he was able to really do a lot of things that, that most people probably noticed just because of the statistics that he put up. But his pass block, his run block, you know, all of it was there. His blocking on the edge. He's starting to become more of a complete tight end. And that's, that's exactly what you want to see, you know, if he wants to be a first-round pick. And if he goes out and does that every game, there's no way you don't pick him in the top ten, in <laughs> is, my opinion. Is it crazy with all the talent you played with at Florida, looking back on it now, like – Cam Newton is still tearing it up on Sundays in the NFL, and Tim Tebow's out playing baseball. It's crazy how things change over time. It is. I mean, when you look at it, there's still plenty of guys. No hate. and Mike Pouncey, you know, Riley Cooper just finished up a few years back. Uh, you know, Lewis Murphy, Major Wright. You know, there was, there was so much talent. Brandon Spice. There was so much talent on that team. The 2D roster really had a chance to play in the NFL for the most part, and, and a lot of guys went on and did great things for a few years, but uh, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm excited to see the next crop of talent to take it to that next level, and I think this Florida team, if they can tidy some stuff up and, and really get some stuff together on the defensive side of the football and keep doing what they're doing on offense, they got a chance. Yeah, they're still my pick to, to represent the East in, in, uh, in Atlanta. We'll see what happens as the season rolls along. Tate Casey, host of the Believe in Florida podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. Tate, thanks so much for the time, man. Really great conversation. Always, Chris. Appreciate it, man. Awesome, man. Tate Casey there, of uh, former Florida Gator and um, two-time national champion. I really enjoy his conversation and his insight into this Florida team. Dan Mullen and company just seem to be – on a mission. And I, you know, I had a, a Florida buddy who was texting me over the weekend and said, eh, it is Ole Miss. Let's keep that in mind. Yeah, but you, you've you played Ole Miss before. You've played bad defenses before. And, you know, Kyle Trask has never looked this good. Kyle Pitts has never gone off for four touchdowns in a game. So clearly things are working with this Dan Mullen offense in uh, week one as we head into week two. This is the Locked on SEC podcast. When we return, we were going to preview the Auburn-Georgia game with Locked On Auburn's Zach Blackerby. Locked On SEC rolling along here, and we are continuing our discussion, getting ready for the biggest game this weekend in the SEC. Again, don't know why this game is not the CBS 230 game, but it will be at night on ESPN. Two top ten teams between Auburn and 
and Georgia, and we've been talking a lot about the Georgia side all week. Now we talk the Auburn side of things with our buddy Zach Blackerby, who covers Auburn for the Locked on Auburn podcast. Zach, what's going on, man? Hey, man, just kind of counting down the days till this top 10 matchup, like you said. I'm okay with it not being at uh, 2.30. I, I always <laughs> like the night games. I always prefer the night games. So. Yeah, yeah, and and look, you go between the hedges. Typically, you go between the hedges in a night game. It's a rocking, rocking atmosphere. That will not be the case this coming Saturday. That's got to help Auburn a little bit. But let me just get your initial thoughts. What did you make of the game that Auburn had last week against Kentucky? I thought, obviously, a tale of two halves. Sloppy football in the first half. Much better offensively and defensively in the second half. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of folks really kind of complaining about Auburn's defense in the first half, but uh, I think, I mean, the bottom line in the whole game, you know, they, they took on a, a team that was one of the best rushing attacks in all of college football last year, uh, best rushing attack in the SEC, and they held them to 13 points across the whole game. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, you know, if Roger McCreary doesn't get that interception in the first half, you know, they score another touchdown, it's like, okay, well, they, they did get the interception in the first half, so... You know, I thought the defense looked good pretty much from start to finish with the exception of the first drive. And then after that, I think they really zoned in and, 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 and were able to kind of figure out how to stop this Kentucky rushing attack. And as far as the offense, I think it got better as the game went on. I think stats would kind of back that up as well. Bo Nix, to me, took a really, really big step from his freshman campaign to his sophomore season uh, just based on the, you know that, that, that one game of action. And also, just when you look at the time of possession that Auburn had versus Kentucky, Auburn's offense wasn't really on the field a whole lot. And so I don't think they ever really had enough time to kind of get that ebb and flow and you know, kind of find that comfort. Um, but they were still able to score 29 points. And in most games that Auburn plays, if you can get to that point, you're gonna, they're going to win the game. So uh, all in all, I thought it was a pretty good performance. How much was the targeting call a payback call for the missed touchdown a few plays earlier? You know that was uh, that was the immediate knee jerk uh, conspiracy theory, right? Um, and uh, and I think there's something to it. Uh, I'm 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 perfectly fine with that. Um, I don't think he scored for what it's worth, um, but I do think that was the correct call as far as targeting goes. So I think the rest, you know, whether it was a makeup call or not, I agree with both of the calls uh, that that happened on the field. Auburn kind of lucked out though, because I mean they're going to need. They're going to need Derek Hall uh, this Saturday, and they're going to get him for the full game. I mean, it's, it's like pretty much the shortest suspension for targeting that you could possibly get because there were like three or four seconds left, something like that, in the half. So uh, Auburn kind of lucked out there with the timing. What about know? what about the Auburn run game? I know that's been a big topic of discussion. I mean, I go back through, uh, man, as long as you can remember, of just running backs throughout the years. I mean, it feels like every single year Auburn's got a ru- feature back they can rely on as of right now, I mean, we th- we think D.J. Williams can be that guy, but is he that guy? Um, I don't think so. I think it's actually the freshman um, that got a few carries. I think he got six, yeah, and he also returned a kick. So I think you're going to see kind of a similar situation as the, maybe what they did in 2013 when Trey Mason kind of took over about four or five games into the season. Then the guy after that was Cameron Ars Payne. The guy after that was Peyton Barber. And uh, after a while, they you kind of figure out, okay, who this Malzahn running back is. I mean, they went years, Chris. They went years and years and years with having a thousand yard rusher. I mean, all the way back to to Cam Newton and, and Ben Tate before that in 09. So, I mean, they, they had this long streak. And then two years ago, it ended when Booby Whitlow took over. 
who is just kind of this interesting local guy who Chip Lindsey was hired as the offensive coordinator, and he was kind of the last guy in the signing class. They wanted to play a slot receiver, and they moved him to running back. And uh, I just don't think he was an SEC running back. So he's been Auburn's guy the past two seasons and kind of stunk it up. As far as who it is this year, DJ's got the most experience, but there's a lot of excitement around Tank Bixby, five-star running back. Um, he's got all the natural ability in the world. Can he get it between the ears? It sounds like he's working his tail off in practice. Um, it kind of makes you wonder if he would have gotten more carries if um, if Sean Shivers, who's you know this undersized guy, his nickname is Worm. I absolutely love it. <laughs> um, one of the fastest guys in college football. He actually got the start, and he got hurt. He kind of limped off towards the end of the first half. It kind of makes you wonder how many carries though Tank would have gotten if uh, if that hadn't have happened. So I, I still think it's a three-man race currently for who is going to be Auburn's main rusher this year between Tank Bixby, Sean Shivers, and uh, and DJ Williams. So they all kind of do different things. Um, I think DJ is really similar to Peyton Barber a few years ago. He's still playing on Sundays. So um, we'll see. We'll see. As far as the rushing game, though, there really wasn't much of a rushing game. <laughs> against Kentucky, and I kind of got to assume it's going to be really tough for them to move the football against Georgia on Saturday as well. When you talk about these receivers, I mean, I I can't remember a time that, that Auburn has had a group of receivers this talented. I mean, you got to go back a, a ways to, to find a, a grouping of guys this, this talented, but Seth Williams really, really good of the group, but with Eli Stove and just, just the whole complement of receivers, is that your thinking as well in terms of they haven't had this good of a grouping in a while? Yeah, I think you got to go back to 2004, the year where Auburn went undefeated. And they had guys like Ben Obamanu and Courtney Taylor, Devin Aromashadu, um, all those guys spent some time in the league. But, yeah, I think this year, I mean, the, the headliner is Seth Williams. And Seth Williams is better than all those guys I just mentioned. Seth Williams has a chance to have the best Auburn receiving season ever, and they're only scheduled to play 10 games. He's on track to do it now. Um, Auburn hadn't had a thousand-yard receiver since 1999. I mean, just to kind of put in perspective, you know, receivers just have not found success in Auburn. And so that's something that a lot of folks are really excited about. You mentioned Eli Stove. That's a guy that he's done a lot of stuff within like three or four yards of the last scrimmage, whether it's in front of it or behind it, a lot of stuff in the screen game, the short passing game. He's got a lot of this natural ability that you want. I'm like, I want to see you go farther down the field. Well, he had a great touchdown catch um, against Kentucky. Bo Nix laid it into him perfectly. So I'm excited to see him kind of operate more downfield. He also got a rushing attempt last year. They kind of like to use him in different ways. But Auburn has the fastest man in college football um, at wide receiver, Anthony Schwartz. They call the man Flash for good reason. And Auburn fans are really wanting to see him used in more creative ways. They haven't really figured out how to do that. They did it when he was a freshman two years ago. Last year he kind of battled some injuries, and then this past weekend you saw him in the screen game a little bit, and that's been about it. I'm curious to see if they're kind of holding holding him kind of close to the best as far as what they want to do. Um, I, I expect to see some more of Flash against Georgia on Saturday. Talking with Zach Blackerby, locked on Auburn. Um, let's get into the game this weekend. Uh, I had Tim Brando on earlier this week on the podcast. He said he tends to lean towards the experienced quarterback and the experienced offense, and he likes Auburn in this one. But Georgia, we just don't know what to expect offensively. We know they, they it's a rotating cast of characters at that quarterback spot. We know JT Daniels has been, has been cleared. Don't know if he'll start and be the primary guy we see on Saturday, but 
to me, that's the biggest question mark going into this one. Yeah, yeah, you know, is, is it going to be JT? Is, is it going to be Stetson Bennett who brought him back against a really, really bad Arkansas team? I mean, Georgia's offense was it was abysmal. It was abysmal before they made this switch. And you know, when they pulled Juwan, I, I was surprised by it. But they, they you know, obviously, they did it, and they were able to start scoring some points after that. Obviously, Auburn's defense is going to be better than Arkansas's defense. And how much of that, you know, translates over to what the outcome of Saturday's game is going to be, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, but Auburn's going to have a really hard time scoring, I think, unless Chad Morris really opens this offense and Bo Nix is able to find success passing the football at a level higher than I'm expecting him to on Saturday. This is going to be a low-scoring game, <laughs> I think. I mean, I think this is going to be a 17-13 kind of matchup. Um, which uh, the line is seven right now, so I'm thinking Auburn covers either way. But it's going to be really interesting to see what they do to get guys in space because Georgia defensive backs, they've got two guys on the outside there that are probably going to get drafted this year. They have um, they don't allow a whole lot of space. And so we'll see how Bo Nix can get the football downfield to Seth Williams, to Anthony Schwartz, and to Eli Stove. It's going to be um, it's going to be really really tough to do if they can't establish that running game, and they were not able to do it against Kentucky. I don't think they're going to be able to do it against Georgia. Yeah, I think I saw the over under is thirty eight and a half. I think I would definitely I'm with you. I would lean the under because the yeah. other thing is Georgia didn't run the ball very well last week against Arkansas, and you know that's been Georgia's uh, bread and butter for so many years is they've always had a, a stud running back and they could always move the ball on the ground. They only averaged. 2.9 yards a carry. Uh, the good news from Auburn, too, it sounds like Big Cat Bright is going to be ready to go and, and fully healthy, and he's a guy who can be a difference maker for them. Yeah, you know, and it's a Big Cat, it's kind of a weird situation, and I've been asked about this with several interviews. So Big Cat played last week. He, uh, he didn't start, and he didn't play in the first half, but, you know, when Derek Hall got hurt and was dejected for the rest of the, or, yeah, when Derek Hall was ejected for the rest of the game, excuse me, uh, all of a sudden Big Cat was cleared to play. He was okay. So, he, it sounds like he's good to go. I think it's going to be interesting to see um, how relevant he is. Big Cat has been a guy all offseason where I'm like, okay, this guy has a chance to get double-digit sacks. And so <laughs> for that prediction to come through, he's going to have to pick it up starting this week um, just because of limited playing time last week. But, yeah, he's uh, he's a senior. He's a leader on this defense. That's going to be a really, really big part of, of what they do. You mentioned Georgia, you know, their bread and butter being able to run the football. Zamir White's a stud. I mean, uh, I, I don't think their issue with the, their lack of, uh, you know, lack of ability to run the football last week had anything to do with him. It's just they were rotating guys in and out on their offensive line. And when you've got guys like K.J. Britt and Owen Papo and Zacoby McClain playing linebacker, I just don't see either team really getting the running game going on Saturday. So it, it's going to be um, it's going to be a slugfest. I can't wait for it. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you have a final prediction, Zach? Yeah, I'll go 17-13. Uh, depends on when you ask me on who I say uh, is going to win. But uh, right now I'll go with Georgia, 17, Auburn, 13. Zach Blackerby, host of Locked on Auburn. Uh, what do you have on the show the rest of the week? Yeah, so we, uh, we're talking with the folks from Locked on Bulldogs for our crossover Thursday show. They have said some pretty um, disrespectful things about Bo Nick. so we're going we're gonna to talk to them about that and see, you know, uh, kind of argue over quarterback play and offensive line, you know, good old college football. They call the Deep South Oldest Rivalry for a reason. So we're going to take that to, uh, to, uh, to our podcast. And then, yeah, we'll do picks and have some local beat writers on for Auburn on, uh, on Friday. So to get everybody ready for the game. Yeah, like you said, it's the biggest game in college football this weekend. And so 
Um, it, it was fun to talk about it with you for a few minutes, man. Hey, real quick before I let you go, my Georgia friend sent me this, this text. He said it will be an all-too-familiar game day experience for Auburn students this weekend when they yet again are denied entrance into Georgia. So there you go. Trash talk beginning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, that sounds about right, though. That sounds about right. Hey, I love it. I love it. Some people feel bad when they trash talk. I don't. I, I absolutely love every single bit of it. Um, I, I think it makes it fun. I think it's good for football. Yeah, I'm excited for this. It's going to be a lot of fun. Zach Blackerby, Locked on Auburn is the podcast. Thanks for the time, man. Hey, thanks, bud. Really appreciate it. Locked on Auburn is the podcast. Zach Blackerby, appreciate his time. Go check out his podcast. That is just about going to do it for this edition of the Locked on SEC podcast. Remember to subscribe. You can get us five days a week. And you want to be listening tomorrow. We'll uh, preview the full slate of games going into this weekend. Matt Zenitz, senior SEC football reporter from AL.com. We'll run through every game with him and make some picks for you. It's the Locked on SEC podcast.